Hello Gems! Welcome to another episode of Tiaras in Tech. I'm your host, Shelley Benhoff, and today I'm talking to Erica Stockwell Alpert, who is a Sitecore Technology MVP. We talked about her journey to MVP, her skills in programming and psychology, and her artistic endeavors, including filmmaking. Without further ado, on to the episode. Hey, Erica, thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so let's just jump right in and have you tell us how you got started in tech. So in college, I was actually majoring in psychology. And at the end of my uh, sophomore year, I decided to take the computer science 101 course just for fun. Um, cause I had a lot of friends who were computer science majors and I kind of wanted to understand what they were doing, be able to join in their conversations at dinner. So I took the class and actually thought it was really fun and discovered that I had a knack for programming and also really enjoyed it. So I decided to add that on as a second major, um, crammed it all into my last two years of school. Um, and it really appealed to me because it was something that I thought was a lot of fun and that I could get a decent career in without going to graduate school, which seemed really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, I'm so much the same. Like it was just um, more cost effective, I guess, <laughs> to go into this instead of, you know, having to get a master's and a PhD, you know, although I would like to do those things. But yeah, so you um, studied computer science in college. How was that? Like, were you like the only woman? Definitely a minority. Um, it was probably like 80, 85% men. Um, there were a couple other uh, women in the program as well, but um we were outnumbered for sure. And it could be a little intimidating, especially uh, because the the guys in my class, they just seemed to always know exactly what was going on. And sometimes I just felt hopelessly lost. And because no one else seemed confused, I was like, oh my God, I'm just not getting this. Um, that's one of the big things that I've learned is that other people don't necessarily know things better than me. They're just good at faking it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's all of us. It's like, I, I feel like people think that I know all of this stuff. And like, I do not off the top of my head. Like people think that we can write, you know, code just off the top of our heads. I rarely do that. I don't know. About oh, no, <laughs> I think the the biggest skill in programming is Googling, to be honest, but but Googling is a skill, like knowing what to search for. You still have to know like what function you're trying to accomplish, but knowing the exact syntax for that is is really not necessary. Just takes up totally uh, takes yeah. up memory space in your brain to have all of the exact syntax memorized. Because if you know the the concepts, then you can do it in any language also, right? Like syntax is just a matter of looking it up, but you have to know what to look up. Absolutely. I was literally just talking about this on my stream last night. Like 
I know many different programming languages, but like the key to learning any language, any language, wow, I'm having trouble talking today, is to understand the overall concepts of programming and just um, troubleshooting as well, like really helps, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after, after college, after you took on the immense, you know, task of studying computer science, congratulations, <laughs> what were your first job, um, experiences like? Uh, so my first experience was with a, a pretty small firm in Boston, um, doing web development, um, didn't use Sitecore yet at that point. It, the, it was like a small firm with really no best practices. And we were kind of just whatever CMS the client uses or wants to use. Um, so there were a lot of things that we did that I didn't even realize until I st uh, started at Valir that I was like, oh, wow, that was terrible. <laughs> but but um, I had some great colleagues, though. I had a really good mentor. Um, basically, I went in with no idea what I was doing. And the, this is a bit personal, but like the whole first week I, I went home uh, crying because I was like, I'm going to get fired because they're going to realize that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and my dad was like, no, they know that you're just out of college. So they're not going to expect you to know anything more than what you would have learned in college. Relax. And it turns out that was exactly right. Like they were fully prepared to train me and teach me what I needed to know, because like we just discussed, I had the skills to learn. And so I was able to learn with the help of some really great colleagues who like having, having good mentors is invaluable in tech. And like, I think that any workplace that would just throw you into the deep end without help is a crappy workplace. Uh, but a good workplace can take someone who's fresh out of college with no real world job skills and train them to be a really good developer. Yeah, exactly. And I am very, very passionate about companies hiring juniors because pretty much every company I've ever worked for refused to hire juniors. And when asked why, they would say they're too hard to train. That's a them problem. <laughs> That's not a problem with the developer. That's a problem with the company and the leadership. So apparently I've worked for some terrible companies. And that's but... interesting too, because like the thing is that like you get what you put in, like if you're willing to bring on a junior dev and train them, then you can train them on your best practices and to have good habits. Whereas if you bring in someone with years of experience, you're also bringing in all of their bad habits. Uh, you're also often bringing in ego and, um, exactly. so yeah, like it, it's, it's an investment, like hiring a junior, like, yeah, you have to put in the work. And I was just reading a discussion about this online that it's generally accepted that the first three or so months with a junior, you won't get any productive work out of them. Like the, it, you're more putting work into them than you are getting out. Like, you're using resources to have the senior developers train them. It's taking five times as long to have them do something that the senior dev could do, but you're getting someone who's learning. 
um, developing good habits, forming good relationships with their colleagues, and hopefully sticking around for a long time. Exactly. The cost of turnover is horrible on companies. I never understood how companies stayed in business. Like I've worked for plenty of places. There was just a revolving door all the time, all the time. And I was just like, that is so much knowledge lost. Like there was never documentation. (laughs) There was never knowledge transfer, like at all. (laughs) That is not the way. Yeah. (laughs) That is terrible. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about Sitecore. You are another badass female technology MVP and um, you have inspired me as well as all, all of the other women. Um, I wouldn't have been interested if like, you know, there was, it was just all white men. It is primarily, but um, yeah. Anyway, with all that said, (laughs) I had no idea. You're welcome. Oh yeah. Like when I tell people these things, it, they're so surprised. I um, had a, um, Hital on last week, and I was telling her that I I was standing behind her at symposium once, and I was too afraid to talk to her. <laughs> and she was on my podcast, and I was like, "Oh, I just love this. I'm so inspired by all of you, you know." So, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, why don't you tell us your MVP journey. How did you hear about it? How did you think I'm, I'm going to be an MVP? So, um, we have a a couple MVPs at Willier. Um, one of them is Dan Solovey, who is just fantastic because he's a really good programmer and also just a really good person. Um, he's really passionate about technology and programming so he's often like working on Sitecore in his free time just for fun and he's like really gung-ho about pushing other people to um get mvp for for lots of reasons like for their own personal development uh for helping them along in their career path um for adding knowledge to the Sitecore community so i was mostly aware of it because of him And I kind of, I had it in the back of my mind that it would be a great goal to accomplish. And the way that I ended up accomplishing it was basically, I so I made the content export tool, which is a Sitecore module, um, sort of inaptly named at this point, because when I first made it, it was for exporting content, but it's grown immensely since then. So like the full name is the, Sitecore content export import audit tool, but that's not not a very good name. I still call it the content export tool for short um, because it sounds a lot nicer. Um, But it started with the basic issue of I had clients who would request just like an Excel report of all the Sitecore items that were in a certain folder and the values of a bunch of the fields of those items. So I would write a custom script, like a custom admin page in Sitecore and click a button. 
and it's done. And then they'd have another request, but it would be for different fields or different paths. So I would be changing the hard coded values. And I thought, well, I could save myself a ton of time if I just made a reusable tool that could handle all of these requests. So that was the inception of the tool where um, the, the very first iteration, it just took a field for the item path or paths, multiple starting paths, and then the names of the fields that you wanted. And it would dynamically determine the um, data type of the field to figure out how to export the value of it. And it would give you a spreadsheet. Um, and from there it grew to handle all sorts of different use cases, um, edge cases. I eventually added the ability to use it to import content. Um, so it's a sort of cyclical thing because you can, like the best way to use it, I think, is to use the export tool to create your CSV, then make the changes in that CSV that you need, and then you upload that same CSV back into it. And by doing that, you can um, modify hundreds or thousands of Sitecore items in just a few minutes rather than manually taking ages just it kills me inside, like just clicking through one Sitecore item after another just to make basic content changes. Um, and I hate manual tasks that could be automated. Um, so I made it to make my life easier and to make my clients' lives easier. Um, tried to get my clients to use it. They never use it. <laughs> they, all, they always say, hey, Erica, can you give us this export? And I'll say, well, I can get it for you tomorrow because I'm really busy, or you can do it yourself using this tool that I made for you for this exact purpose. And they're like, oh, we don't have time to learn that right now. We'll just have you do it. We'll wait. <laughs> and it, oh my and it makes me really sad because like, I have had clients try it. And whenever they try it, they're like, this is incredible. This is going to make my life so much easier. And I'm like, I told you. I told you for months, but, but even when the clients won't try it out, it still makes things easier for me or the project manager or like who, whoever the client is asking to generate the reports. Um, so that's how I made it. And then it was really just a matter of turning it into a shareable module that anybody could install in their Sitecore instance, uh, putting that on the Sitecore marketplace, which is now not really a thing anymore. So um, it is available primarily on GitHub. Um, it's just a, there are some release packages and it's really easy to install. Um, so that was my big contribution uh, that got me awarded MVP for the first time. And in the years since, I've just been continuing my contribution by continuing to build on the tool and also um, posting on my blog regularly, um, doing things like this, <laughs> going to Sitecore events and conferences. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work being a MVP in any um, tech stack. Um, but I, I could have used your tool, you know, many, many times I, I had the same issues where, you know, I had clients asking me for a spreadsheet of the content. I had this one project um, where they had like thousands, thousands of pages to import from some old system. Um, 
executive site or or something like that it was a really really crappy cms and to like import all of the pages we had to match up the old pages and and the new pages and we had series of like spreadsheets and you know all all kinds of stuff it would have really helped to be able to just export stuff and then use a excel like macro to match them up I think someone went in and did that manually. It was that, it was like, it was like 1500 pages. (laughs) Yeah, I would lose my mind. That's awful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, I was not pleased with that process and I didn't have the resources to, you know, help them out, but I definitely was like, we we can automate this. But someone was just like, this is the only task we're going to have to do once. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Yeah, so I was um, reading your LinkedIn, you know, as I do for every guest. I um, peep their <laughs> socials and stuff like that. So I noticed that you not only studied computer science, but you also studied psychology. And that is a great combination. And I was just wondering how those skills are um, complementary. Well, I used to joke that it would help me in relationships uh, when we had fully uh, artificial intelligences, understanding computers. (laughs) But uh, realistically, I do think that it really helps in client relationships, which are a very important thing. Um, You may have some workplaces where the dev never even directly talks to the clients, but everywhere that I've worked, I've had... um, direct relationships with my clients and like not just out of necessity, but my clients have ended up having really strong relationships with me, which helps the company as well. Um, And uh, some of my clients, like even after they've left because um, so we, we had one account where they just decided to leave Sitecore, go to a different platform. Um, But even after they left, my client contact uh, still keeps in touch with me because Uh, we had such a good relationship with each other. Um, And I think that even though you don't need to study psychology to have good people skills, like understanding some basic stuff about how people think, um, how to interact with people, um, I think it's really important. And it's not necessarily a necessary skill in tech, but I think it's really helpful. And it's, it's definitely underrated because a People skills are not something that everybody has in programming. That's for sure. I feel like um, at so many jobs I've had, I was the odd one out that had a personality and clients loved me and my coworkers hated me (laughs) for that. (laughs) But I was just like, you know, I can take care of the clients. You guys take care of the code and I'll like, you know translate. I think it's really hard when you're um, in like a lead dev position because you're kind of expected to lead as well as code. And those are two Mm. completely different skill sets. And I've (laughs) been in meetings where I've seen a a developer very 
experienced and senior developer really piss off a client by basically saying something to them in a way that's very condescending or makes them feel stupid for not understanding mm-hmm. technical things. Um, and you can have the like delineation between like you have your, your client services, people, the project managers are good with the clients and the coders do code. But um, I've had plenty of times when the clients want something technical explained and you have to be like understand for one thing how to explain something technical in layman's terms that a person who knows nothing about computers can understand um and also do it in a way that you know isn't condescending or makes them feel stupid absolutely it's like um, people who have tech skills and that ego that like <laughs> they're the king or queen of programming, like they shouldn't be leads. They shouldn't have, well, they shouldn't have that attitude in the first place. So that's um, manageable to an extent, I think. But yeah, I've, I've definitely experienced that too. Um, yeah, so... You do um, speaking um, presentations, you know, public stuff a lot. And I'm always asked, how do you have the guts to do that? And I was going to ask the same of you. (laughs) Um, Well, in terms of having the guts, I guess I just, you know, sign myself up for stuff and then can't back out now. Uh, the way that I prepare myself for these sorts of things. And this is, again, something that I got a lot of experience with in um, college, which was very helpful. Um, In psychology, we had to do a large uh, presentation on our thesis projects. Um, And for computer science as as well, we uh, did like a senior project that we then had to present on to the whole department at the end of the semester. And that experience was very helpful because I, I went to a couple conferences after school um, to present on the work that I had done for my senior projects. And um, it was, you know, less intimidating because I had had that experience before I had already presented on the same topic as well. So um, in terms of like preparing for that though, um I pretty much always have some sort of visual component to a presentation, whether it's a PowerPoint or like I did a few poster presentations uh, in school, which is really just standing next to a poster, but there's still something visual to reference. Um, So on my own, I would just go through the presentation, say the whole thing out loud. And if I find myself stumbling on certain parts or not being sure what to say, I just, you know, collect my thoughts figure it out and write it all down so that I have it memorized and um, doing talks uh, with PowerPoint or online is a lot easier because I can just have my notes open to reference them. Whereas it is a lot more intimidating to just be like standing at a podium with the presentation behind you and no notes. Um, I think most of the time it's acceptable to have flashcards, but there were some cases where you're just up there with nothing and it has to be memorized. So just going through it enough times 
in your room by yourself until you have it down pat and you can say the whole thing confidently. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. no, just Go another ahead. thing that uh, sort of boosted my confidence and was also kind of funny to me is when I presented on my computer science research in Prague, um, you know, I thought that my presentation, you know, it was fine. Like, I didn't think that my project was necessarily that impressive compared to everyone else's, but hey, it got accepted to the conference. So um, clearly I deserve to be there. So I did my talk and then a bunch of people came up and said how much they enjoyed my presentation. Um, not just because I thought it was interesting, but also because at this international conference, they said that with my American accent, I was one of the easiest people to understand because they're from all over the world. And they, a lot of people said that like with English being their second language, it can be very hard to understand English in a different accent that's drastically different from their own. And I was told that British is the most difficult accent to understand English in. Really? Um, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Which is really exactly. funny because like yeah. it's their language, they invented it, but. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think about all the time how programming languages are all written in English a hundred percent. So that is a huge barrier to entry for any non-native speaker and it just, I am, I commend anybody that is a great coder in English when they had to learn English as a language in order to learn how to code. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I haven't, I've thought about that a bit, but um, like the idea that a lot of things, they're written to be as intuitive as possible. So like for each or if else, like you, you kind of get what it's doing there. But if you don't know English, then those are basically just symbols that yeah exactly like think about us trying to program in like chinese or or japanese or something you know it's that would be a big undertaking i, think. I do have <laughs> a legacy code base uh with some german in it files. all of the comments are in german yeah <laughs> i've had a Russian a lot. I've, I've worked with a lot of people from there. So yeah. Um, cool. So next up, I have a segment that I like to call precious gems. This is where I take um, comments from people on social media, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitch now, I guess, if if you want to put comments there. I am screen sharing the latest um, comment that I got on a episode about mentoring and learning. Um, <laughs> Kristen, ooh, I'm having an F day. Kristen Foster Marks, there, I did it, um, wrote a great, great message that she um, wanted to say that we invest a lot of time in learning about technical concepts, especially so um, that, that we can actually serve our teams and our customers. And, and sh <laughs> she called uh, Heather uh, McDonald a 
superstar. And I completely agree with that statement. I think that it's really important to, um, if a leader is um, a technical leader, they all kind of understand the the concepts at a high level. And this actually ties back to what we were talking about earlier, how people who are coders and have that ego tend to talk down to project managers and even clients at times. But those people do understand the underlying technology like most of the time. So we have to be um, respectful of that, I think. Yeah. Cool. Um, so thank you, Kristen, for your comment. Back to Erica. Okay. So I was looking at your socials and I was very pleasantly surprised to see that you're an artist and a filmmaker. And I was looking at like all of your work and um, it's amazing. Why is it important to um, exercise your like creative skills? Well, I think like in general, like in the broad sense, um, art is one of the most important things in the world. Like you've got basic survival needs, but once those are met, art is kind of what makes life worth living. And, and a lot of things are art, right? Like there's visual art, like paintings and pictures that you decorate your space with that makes your house comfortable and a nice place to be in. Or when you walk around town, like I'm so much happier walking around a, a town or city that has murals and public sculptures than one that's just concrete. Um, music is art, like it decorates the space around us with sound and um, movies, TV are art that provides entertainment, um, books too, really. Um, like without art, life would just be so bland and boring. And if you have the ability to put more of that into the world, I think that's a really great thing. But it's also worthwhile doing like just for yourself, e even if you like do a drawing and you never even show it to anyone, I, it's still not a waste of time if it makes you feel proud of yourself. And sometimes, um, I mean, if you have a skill that you're good at and it doesn't have to be art, it could be um, some kind of sport or music or a hobby, um, anything that you're good at and you practice it and it like makes you feel accomplished and good about yourself. And like, this is something that, that I can do, that I can create, like making something with your own two hands, um, just feels really good. Yeah, absolutely. Making something out of nothing is why I love yeah. to code because yeah, people think it's magic. It's just technology. I love it too. And that's you know? why I love web development specifically, like as opposed to like I don't really like writing like PowerShell scripts, console scripts, like stuff that just does things in the background and you don't really see it, or maybe it outputs things to a folder, whatever. But like web development, you write some code and you can see the output visually in your browser. And I love that. And it has an artistic element to it too. Like 
the thing that's that's funny is that I am an artist. Um, I do a lot of drawing and painting, and I'm also a pretty good programmer, but I cannot do web design. Like the two things just don't mesh. Um, anytime it's been left up to me to design something for a website, I'm just like, I, I don't know, like I'll give it a background color. Like, And then I see some of the designs that our professional in-house designers make, like, or the external designers that we hire. And I'm like, this looks so good. This is really interesting. If I were to make a website, it would probably look like something from 2005. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that as well. You should look at my websites sometime. And I used a, you know, free theme or whatever. And they're very, um, you know, not not flashy or anything like. Oh that. yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah. have a website for the the film festival that I'm organizing, and it's just one of the default themes on Wix. Though I did choose some custom uh, color schemes, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah, and I'll also say in the the olden days where devs had to do literally everything like we were front end back end you know uh dba and just everything else project manager <laughs> tester trainer yeah <laughs> that's that's how it started but i used to have to take um like mock-ups splice them and then translate them into HTML. So I'm one of those devs that can actually write a page from absolute scratch, like just write out all, all of the HTML, um, which really isn't a common skill anymore. Um, yeah, but I, that always like surprised my clients when I would make something and they're just like, did you just write all the HTML? And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so as an artist, you also have a affinity for Halloween. And for anybody who isn't watching on, on YouTube, I, I dressed up for Erica and I am wearing a shirt that says, this is Halloween, you know? Um, what is it about like spooky stuff that, um, you like that's such a that's actually a really hard question because it's like it's like if i asked like oh like why do you um let's see you have um the legend of zelda um thing on your shelf so if i'm like why do you like zelda it's like or video games or cats it's like just something hard-coded into my brain like i just i love the aesthetic um I love October. I love um, like walking down Main Street in October and all of the shops have like pumpkins and skeletons all over the place. And I especially really love like vintage Halloween aesthetic, um, but I love it all. And in fact, um... here's my skeleton. 
Neapolitan. Holy yeah, crap. This is Alistair. Um, he has his own Instagram page. <laughs> really? Oh my God. I'll totally put that in the show notes. But again, for anyone that's listening, she just held up a life-size skeleton. <laughs> yeah, I used to... Um, take them all around for photo shoots. I would post them all around um, Davis Square in Somerville. Um, I even brought him to Martha's Vineyard with me once and post him on the ferry. Uh, he's a little like in too rough shape now. His um, pelvis is kind of breaking apart. So he's retired and Aww. just hangs out in my office now. But um, he's old. Yeah. <laughs> um, the backdrop that I've got here in my office is actually like the least spookily decorated area of my entire house but I've got my full oddities collection in my living room um just lots of uh skulls and um weird things but yeah I I don't know it just it just makes me feel cozy like I I love the feeling of Halloween and just being surrounded by it all the time yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a person that does not wait for Halloween to wear my tiara. <laughs> I used to. But now I feel like um, if if I go anywhere at any time where somebody might take a picture of me, I feel like I have to wear a tiara because it's my brand now. <laughs> yeah, so I highly suggest making a like company and, and a brand for yourself so that you can purchase Halloween stuff and, and it's a business expense. That is a there great idea. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> My tiaras are a business expense. Yeah. And uh, lashes too. I <laughs> charge those to the company as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what advice... Would you have for anyone who is interested in a career in tech? So um, there are a lot of great resources for learning on your own. Um, so just taking advantage of all of that. Um, their um, Pluralsight is a great platform. I know that you've made a lot of courses for Pluralsight. Um, it's a great <laughs> way to learn. Uh, we've used it at my company. My company has provided um, myself and other devs with licenses to take courses. Um, I learned a ton about React through Pluralsight. Um, And it is a paid platform, but they offer, there's like a lot of promotions and free trials. So um, there's definitely ways to take advantage of it, even if you don't want to pay for a full license or have a company to sponsor you. Um, I have um, a couple friends who have been very successful with coding boot camps. I know they're all over the place and they're not always super great but if if you're the type of person who learns better with like support and teaching rather than just self-teaching I think that that's a good resource if you don't have the opportunity to actually go to school for it um if you're watching this and you are in college or going to college soon and you're interested in tech then definitely take advantage of the opportunity to study computer science um the professors that I had were invaluable getting to work with them one-on-one and also like having them as references when I was looking for a job, um, having the, the projects that I created there were a huge thing to put on my resume when I didn't have any prior work experience. I was able to put like my senior projects on my resume and talk about that a lot. Um, and um, when it comes to 
Now, I think that um, imposter syndrome is something that most people experience, but um, I, I can't say what it feels like to be a man in tech, but I feel like it's probably worse for women. I, I know it was really bad for myself. Um, and when I first started, like I already told you that I, I went home crying every night. Um, and um, and even that was even with really nice colleagues. <laughs> I hadn't even encountered any arrogant jerks yet. Um, but um, I would say like the important thing is when you're just starting out, like don't be afraid of being a beginner and not knowing things because everybody starts from that point. And like I said before, if you get hired by a decent company, then they're not going to have crazy expectations of you. They're going to help you learn. Um, if you're hired as a junior, they know that you're going to need training um, and they will provide that training. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Like, don't think that you're supposed to know everything. And if you ask a question, you'll out yourself as not knowing something you're supposed to know. I used to be afraid for that reason. So I was like, oh, if I ask this question, then they'll know that I don't know. <laughs> and they'll, they'll think I'm an idiot. <laughs> but um, like, first of all, that's not true. Um, another thing that I've discovered that's surprised me at times is like, I work with a lot of great devs who I think know everything, but it turns out that like they have their blind spots or their weak points. So like, for example, some of my senior colleagues, more senior to me, um, some of the best coders I know who have done like absolutely ingenious stuff with PowerShell and Azure and whatnot, um, turn out to not know very much about JavaScript. And they'll have a, a question about something that I think is very simple that they need help with. And I could be like, like if I was going to be arrogant, I could be like, oh, you don't know that. But instead you can take it to, to realize that like you have your things that you don't know that seem obvious and trivial to someone else. And they have their things that they don't know that would seem obvious and trivial to you. So just be humble. Um, but when you're first starting out, like they're the ones who are going to be humble because, you know, there's a lot of things that you're not going to know and it's okay. And by asking for help, um, you give yourself the chance to learn. Uh, you also give yourself the chance to form really good relationships with people. Um, Cause like the best colleague relationships I have uh, are with the people who have mentored me and like working yeah. together with them, like starting out with a question, it just, you gradually develop relationships that way. Yeah. And I think um, you absolutely said everything that people feel this imposter syndrome. And I'm very, very sorry that you went home crying. Um, I kind of say to people that you're not a woman in tech until you've cried <laughs> at work or about work or something like that. Cause I've had plenty of times where after a meeting, I was so like hurt or pissed off about something that I went and cried in the bathroom alone and then came out and acted like everything was fine. Yep. 
I don't miss that. <laughs> I don't miss that at all. Yeah. Anyway, um, I would love to talk to you all day about all of this, you know, but I am respectful of time. So we need to wrap up this conversation. But before I let you go, can you tell people where to connect with you online? Yes. So um, my Twitter is at Bone Lady Arts. Um, the reason for my weird handle is that when I made my Twitter account, I had no idea that it would end up being primarily uh, used for tech and site core stuff. Uh, so it's the same as my Instagram handle. Uh, if you want to see uh, the the work that I make um, at uh, Bone Lady Arts. Um, if you want to see my films, it's on uh, YouTube. And that is, sorry, uh, Bone Lady Studios. Okay. <laughs> That's the name of my production studio. <laughs> um, and I love that. I, I only currently have uh, the one film up there that's publicly available, but I have a second one that's in the festival circuit that will also be posted to my YouTube channel once it's done in festivals. And then, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to direct Connectly, um, which is Erica Stockwell hyphen Alpert. Awesome. I will have links to all of that in the show notes slash description. Erica, thank you so much again for being here. This was inspirational. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was great talking with you. Yeah. If you want to support us, please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your fellow gems. Let me know in the comments what other topics you would like me to cover and follow TRs in Tech on social media and use the hashtag MakeYourselfShine. Thanks for watching or listening and have a great day.